Well, thank you for all coming out this morning in this heat wave, and uh, I love the humidity. It's one of my favorite things is humidity. It's awesome. I love it. It's great. I love the fact there's no fan up here either. It's cool. It's just totally cool. So it's all about mindset, right? <laughs> you look at me, buddy. <laughs> well, I could do that, but I want you to get cool. Okay, I'll, if I pass out, put the fan on me, okay? Anyway, it's great to be here this morning, and uh, I'll tell you what, it is great to have the sunshine. You know, remember when it was constant rain, constant rain, constant rain, constant rain? That was happening this year, wasn't it? It was like, when is summer ever going to come? Well, good news, summer has arrived. It's great. Now, several announcements I got this uh, this morning. Uh, first of all, tonight, uh, tonight, don't go to... Uh, Kirkpatrick's, don't go to Tamaris, go up to the Drillinger's. 5.30 is when the barbecue's starting, right? Yeah, give or take, give or take. We're going to have a little barbecue going on for the family. We'll have a little Lord's Supper, and then we're going to have some family entertainment. So it should be a good time tonight. Uh, bring a water bottle and maybe a spritz bottle with a little fan or something. I don't know. It's going to be hot, huh? Well, yeah, but that? Oh, yeah. It was right where the, where the wedding was, right? Okay, cool. Yeah, get a little breeze going on. We'll be we'll be golden. So, all right, five thirty tonight, give or take. Also, too, uh, we are gonna have Monday night uh, at our place for the college age group. Wednesday this week is at Tamra's place, seven o'clock, and G Four Summit is coming up uh, this coming Thursday evening, seven o'clock is when the preaching will start. And uh, there are there's a sheet out there. It's two sided. It gives the schedule of when the preachers will be preaching. And it also talks about what you want to bring uh, up to the campsite. Now, I haven't checked to see if fires are okay in the designated fire pits. So I might be sending a, a note out letting people know that, you know what, we can't do the fire. You're going to have to stand by the light late at night. So uh, I'll let you know, though. Yes, question? That's okay. You, you can get to me before I leave on Wednesday. So we're good. We're good. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, and if you want to come up and you want your place reserved, I'm going up early on Wednesday, and the folks are coming up on Thursday. Wednesday night, I'm going to sit down and write down all the tickets, and then early Thursday morning, I'm placing the tickets on the campsites. So that way, your campsite will be reserved. You show up. I'll be around. Just ask me where your campsite is, and I'll point you in the direction of your campsite. So that way, uh, we get up there, and we don't have... Our camps all over the place. They're close together. All right, I got another one here. Let's see, where is it? Okay, please announce three plants on the porch that's outside. Raspberry plants, strawberry plants, and aloe. Do the raspberry and strawberries have any fruit on them? Not the most. Okay. Oh, and tomatoes. Okay, it's not in here, but tomatoes too. And there's cookies in the front, front foyer, and they're good. They are, just don't know how. I'm just sure they are. Okay. <laughs> okay, uh, so please let, please let us know if you can make it to Faith and Michael's ceremony. That's September 3rd, right? And it's up at Tanya's ranch, right? Okay. So what time on the 3rd? 5.30? in the evening, right? Good. All right, 5.30 in the evening. Up at Tanya's place, 
September 3rd. We want to make sure we have enough tables and chairs, so RSVP, right? Okay, doesn't have RSVP, but RSVP. And uh, so September 3rd, Saturday, Saturday, right? 5.30. Till whenever. Till the party's done. Okay, there we are. There you go, Ryan, your message was great. Mr. Ty, there you go. That was a good one. I love the way they make them. Look at this one. Oh, my goodness. This is all in gigantic, bold-faced capitals. Mr. Andrew, thank you for helping me in Bible class. Max, I love that. I put the little emphasis in there for you. Mr. Logan, thank you for being a good example for me. How many of you Mr. Logan is a good example for a lot of people? Woohoo! Give it up for Mr. Logan. Braxton. There we go. <laughs> Wanted to get that one in there. Thank you, Braxton, for mopping the bathroom floors. Max, for dusting the building, meaning getting the dust out. Uh, Ty, for vacuuming. Justine, for training them up right and cleaning the bathrooms. And Pam White, for Pam Weibert, for helping out. That's a great one. There you go. So right over there for mom and kids. Awesome job, guys. Ken Weibert. I appreciate that through the many years that I have been that I have known you, you have promoted unity in Christ's body and have been an awesome example. Let's give it up for Ken Weiber. Woohoo! And I have to share that that really is true. There were times when when, you know, it would have been easy for you not to stay the course, but you stayed the course. And I really appreciate that a lot. It's it's awesome. Praise God. So. All right. Any birthdays this coming week? I didn't see any on the list. Any birthdays? Anybody want to tell on anybody that has not had a birthday sung to them in a while? I don't know. Looks like there's no takers on that one. There's smiles and snickers down here. Is there something going on down here in the front row? Oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. Let's begin in a word of prayer then this morning. Father, we're thankful for the time we can spend together, and uh, we just praise you and thank you for the beautiful breeze coming from somewhere. It's great. We thank you for the beautiful sunshine, for the blessings of living in this beautiful, amazing state filled with mountains and rivers and lakes and ocean, and what a blessing it is to live here. But more importantly, Father, we thank you for being a part of the New Jerusalem, of this beautiful heavenly country. Father, we know that uh, our struggles now in this life are real. But the great hope and the great love that you have granted to us in your son, Jesus Christ, helps us to continue to move forward, to labor on until that day you come back for us. We pray this morning, dear Heavenly Father, as we continue to study the concept of trust, that we would continue to build our trust in your son, Jesus Christ, as our King, and as our Savior. Now, Father, we ask this in your Son's name. Amen. I want to have you turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 14. We're going to spend an awful lot of time in, in the Gospel of John. Uh, both Gospel of John and the Epistles of John uh, speak about Christ, speak about God in such amazing ways. And so this morning, we'll start here in chapter 14. And I want you to listen carefully to what is spoken of 
Jesus Christ. Chapter 14 and verses 28 through 31. Remember, he's at the, the Last Supper table. He's basically sharing with his disciples, his apostles, basically his last words of encouragement. He says here in verse 28, You heard that I said to you, I go away and I'll come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let's go from here. Now that verse 31 is powerful. Listen to it once again. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. You know, it's rather interesting. We see Jesus Christ knowing that his Father loves him, loves him in eternity past, loves him right now. And as we're going to read in John chapter 17, will continue to love him into eternity. But he's facing something horrific in his life. What's Jesus facing in just really a, maybe an hour from this, this dinner table conversation? He's going to go up to Gethsemane after this dinner conversation. And then the, the people are going to come and take him, try him, and crucify him. He knows that's coming. And so he says... I do exactly what my father commanded me. Because I love him, I'm going to do exactly what he commanded me. What did God the Father command Jesus Christ, his son, to do? Do you know? He commanded him, if the world be saved, you must go to the cross. By the way, that was dis discussed developed and decided on before the world was created, that great plan of salvation. You're going to hear that spoken this morning. And so it's important for us to recognize when we want to trust somebody, we'll trust them when they follow through and you find out that their motives were pure. Now, do you remember what the three cornerstone uh trust points are the first one is in is character a man or woman of integrity meaning flawless jesus was a man of integrity jesus was a man of character flawless he also was a man of great capabilities competence jesus does all things well now remember we talked about when when we're trusting a human being, like say, for example, a mechanic. If you're going to bring your car to a mechanic, there's at least two facets to this trust. One is that you believe him to be a, a man or woman. I don't want to be, you know, gender bias here. Woman mechanics, okay? Is it possible that they're absolutely trustworthy as, day, as long as the day is long? but they're not very competent? Would you entrust your vehicle to someone who's a man or woman of integrity but are not competent in fixing things? You have to have those two component parts to trust the mechanic. 
And something else is going to help you to trust the mechanic. That is that he or she has been doing it for a long time, integrity, and also to competency. But there's one more facet that's really critical. Is it possible for someone to do the right thing correctly, consistently, but for the wrong reason? Let me say that again. Is it possible for someone to do the correct thing, the correct thing with integrity consistently, but for the wrong reason? There's a fourth cornerstone for trust, and that's the motive behind why people do things. What's the motive behind Jesus coming into the world? There had to be a motive. There had to be a driving force. What was the ultimate, the true, the genuine, the real motive for Jesus coming into the world? It ended up getting him killed. What was that motive? Because we know that Jesus Christ is perfect in holiness. We know that he does all things well. He does all things perfectly. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what's his motive? What's his motive? You see, we need to have all four. We need to have all four in regards to develop intimate relationships with people. That's difficult in this world. Because how many of you go, okay, so what are the four things I need to do to be trustworthy? And you stew on it, and you go, well, okay, well, if I tell someone to do something, I'll do it. Well, there's an attitude in that, that verbiage, right? Whoops! Okay, so my point is, is all four are critical for having a trusting relationship. And when things get really crazy in life, all four of those really need to be a constant in your relationships. But what about Jesus? Are you going to remain faithful to the end? Is he trustworthy? We have to know why did he do it? Why did he do it? I would suggest that he fulfilled the great commandment. First, he loved the Lord God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength every moment of his life. And then he loved his neighbor as he loved himself. He knew who he was. He knew why he came. And he loved people. And remember what he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Check Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2 out. As beloved children of God, imitate his love, his sacrificial love. Walk in love just as he loved you and gave himself up. As a sacrifice. And so the motive of why Jesus did what he did is going to really seal the deal for you and I to trust him. But you know, when tough, tough, difficult times come, will you still trust Jesus and not forsake the faith? And not forsake being a part of his family? 
That's so important. So I want to take a look at the two motives. Motive number one, it's written there right in your, your little note sheet if you have that. That's great. His love and devotion, his love and devotion to serve his father. Wouldn't you love it if your kids, whenever you ask them to do something, yes, dad, yes, mom, great attitude, love doing this, and, and they do it. And uh, you want to check out my work? Dad, did I do okay? If it's not okay, I want to be, do it better. And you'd be going, can I buy one of those? <laughs> what, what supermarket do you get those at? I want one, you see. But we laugh a little bit, but you know what? When I was, when I was a son growing up, unfortunately that wasn't my attitude. Yes, Dad, but I'd love to do that. It would be great. Just tell, and then, did I do okay? If you want me to do it better, I will. That was Jesus. If you want to be a great son, follow Jesus. Notice what it says here back in John chapter 14. It says it very, very clearly there. So that the world may know that I love my father, I do exactly as my father commanded me. So take a look at that first one. Jesus loves his father. Jesus loves the father that he will obey him in everything he says. And he'll do that exactly the way he wants him to do that. He will not question. He'll do it. Because that's the kind of love he has for his dad. Now, as I grew older, I realized just how good a father I had. I looked around and I saw a lot of fathers that gave their kids a lot of stuff, but were never there. My dad made me work, and my dad worked with me, and I worked with and for my dad. And so he learned, he, he learned to me. He taught me many great things, and I love him for that, but I didn't at the time. If I would have been a better listener, more obedient, a lot of less heartache in my life, a lot more blessings, we need to be that for our father, but Jesus was the model for that. His motive for coming, because his father said, you need to go to save the world. And he said, absolutely, father, I'll go. Look at John chapter 8. Listen to the attitude by which he came. Notice there wasn't, okay, whatever you want. I know we talked about it, so I'm going. That attitude wasn't there in Jesus. Take a look at John chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. It's a beautiful passage. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, and he's talking to the people who are going to kill him now. He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Wow, I always do the things that are pleasing to God. I want to please him. I want him to think that I'm just the most awesome, amazing son. I want, I'm doing it. That's a great attitude, isn't it? You know why he came? For his father first he came. But he came for you because his father wanted you in heaven with him. 
There is epistle passage after epistle passage after epistle passage that says, God desires that none should perish, but all be saved. Son, you got to do the job. I'm happy to do that, Father. I want to please you in every respect. His motivation was not, what am I going to get out of this? The motivation was to please the Father in every way. And notice, his father had a great relationship with his son Jesus. Whenever Jesus would ask, his father would deliver because he knew his son wanted to do what pleased him. What a beautiful relationship there was. Look at the next one here, the next bullet point. Jesus lived to do his father's will and accomplish his work. Two things there. Look at the scripture. Turn there with me, if you would. John chapter 4 and verse 34. The relationship between God the Father and God the Son is so amazing. Look at verse 34. Speaking to his disciples, he says, My food, that which I am consuming, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My total focus is to do his will and accomplish his work. How many of you have ever heard this saying? Okay. Do you eat to live or live to eat? Do you eat to live or live to eat? I hate that statement, actually. <laughs> when it means food in this world. But when it means this, it works both ways. Think about it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. I live to do his will. And to do his will is my life work. I love it. So in that case, that phrase is going to work. But for normal food, it doesn't. All right. But notice, there's two things. There's two things that he's investing himself in to do the will of the Father, and to accomplish his work. Now the question is, what is the will of the Father? What is the work that he gave him to do? Let's look. Uh, you've got some little check marks there now. To do his will. Look at Psalms 40 and verse 8. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Psalms chapter 40 and verse 8. Really a very straightforward passage. And you know it's of prophecy because this, action, this passage is actually quoted in Hebrews in chapter 5 about Jesus Christ giving his body as a, a sacrifice. Well, take a look. Psalms in chapter 40 and uh, beginning in verse and ending in verse 8. Psalms chapter 40. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So do you, do you delight to do things for your dad? Husbands, do you delight to do things for your wife? Wives, do you delight to do things for your husband? Kids, do you delight to... You see what I'm saying? There's a great attitude, a super positive. I want to do this. Talk about motivation to do a really crummy job. How many have ever been under your house before? Anybody here been under your house? Okay. 
Sweetheart, have you ever been under our house? I delight to go into that house, especially when the smell. There's something down here that has not fossilized yet. I delight to go down there because my wife, okay, we did hire a guy to come out and, and uh, there wasn't anything under there that was smelling. I'm getting older now. But you know what? If there was nobody to hire, guess who would be going under the house? Jacob. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can tell him he's not here. Well, I would ask, but we'll see how that works with Jesus loving his dad. You know, you never know. But I'll tell you what, I've been under that house a lot. I know where everything is, is and where everything was that smelled like that, and I removed it. I did that because I love my wife. That's why I did that. I didn't do it because, you know, I have to. I did it because I love my wife. And it did stink up the house. So the motivation was love for my wife. Now, were there other things that I believed would come back to me that I'm my wife's hero? Yes. But maybe my motives weren't perfectly pure. But for Jesus, he's coming to a cesspool, and there's no guarantee that anyone's going to follow through with loving him back. There's no guarantee they're going to love the Father. There's no guarantee. He did it because his Father called him to do it. It was the plan. We'll take a look at John chapter 5 and verse 30. Gospel of John chapter 5 and verse 30. You might want to just keep a little flag there in, in John. We're going to keep coming back here. Verse 30. Listen to what Jesus says here. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just or true because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. My dad is perfect. His will is correct. I'm not going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what my dad says. I'm going to say what my dad says. That's his will. The motivation was love of father first. Look at uh, uh, the next one there, the little, the little check mark where it is. To accomplish his work. You know, what was the great work that he was supposed to accomplish John chapter 5 and, and verse 36. The testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. I want to read that again. Now, think about that for just a minute. Because I'm going to have you go back to the cross with me. We're going to go back to the cross after Jesus died, and something miraculous happened. Listen to this once again. This verse, verse 36. The testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John the Baptist, for the works which the Father has sent me to accomplish, the very works I do testify about me, who I am, that the Father has sent me. How many of you remember, after Jesus died, there was earthquakes and, 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 the, and the sun grew dark and, and the temple curtain was torn in two. And then there was a Roman centurion who had a Roman guard of 16 with him. And that Roman centurion said, with the 16 other Roman soldiers, truly this was 
the testimony of who he was. Truly, this was the Son of God. That's a, that's a death sentence for a Roman soldier. Because there's only one God in the Roman Empire over all of the gods, and that's Caesar. But that man knew who Jesus was because Jesus had accomplished the work of his father. Think with me for just a minute. Again, let's go back just a few minutes before that moment when he confessed Jesus as the Son of God. He, he stood there and listened to the two thieves yell and scream at Jesus. If you're the Savior, save us and save yourself. Remember? And he saw all the people coming along saying, if you're the king, if you're the... Everybody was against Jesus. And then that one thief turned to Jesus and said, will you remember me when you come in your kingdom? Now remember, the centurion is right there. He can hear all of this. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, those soldiers saw him walking up the hill with that cross, and they saw him talk to the weeping women. Don't cry for me, ladies. Cry for what's coming upon Jerusalem in 70 AD. He didn't say that, but that's what he meant. And we hung on the cross. He heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That centurion was the benefactor of Jesus' prayer that God his Father would forgive him for what he was doing. Brethren, the great work that was to be accomplished that God had told his son to do was to sacrifice himself for all mankind. Go back with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 3 and verse 16. And if you already know it, we're not going to read just 6. We're going to read 17 as well. Listen to verse 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world. God sent his Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. The scripture talks an awful lot about God loving his son, Jesus Christ. Do a word study on that. I did. I knew that Jesus loved his father, but there's very few verses that say that. We looked at one that is very evident. So the world would know that you sent me and that I love you. I accomplish your will. It's pretty important for us to recognize that God loved Jesus Christ. Because he was his only begotten son. But you also need to know something else, brethren. God loves you more. Because it pleased the Father to crush him. Jesus loves you more than his own life. Because he was pleased to obey his Father. He delighted in doing his Father's will, it says. Because he loved you more than he loved his own life. He loved you more than he loved his own life. Do you love him more than you love your own life?
He loved you more than he loved his own life. God loved you more. God the Father loved you more than he loved his only begotten son. The motive for Jesus coming into the world was the love of his Father and the love for us, his creation. Scripture says that Jesus is the creator, and so he created you unique and distinct. There never ever has been a hope, and there never ever will be. You're the only one. And he made you perfect for this time and this place. That's for all of us. And he was willing to die for you so you'd make it out of this cesspool and make it to heaven. He loved you more than he loved himself. Now let's prove that. Motive number two. His love and devotion to save his bride from the lake of fire. Turn with me to John chapter 15. Gospel of John chapter 15. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples, his followers. Listen to verse 12 and following. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Verse 15 says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Does anyone know what 1 John 3.16 says? 1 John 3.16? We know what love is by this, that Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for one another. Real quick side note, Jesus said at the judgment seat, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. And he goes on to talk about what Christians did for him. And then he said this, when you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. You want to love Jesus more than yourself? Because Jesus loved you more than himself? That's why the commandment is to love one another, even as I have loved you. Philippians chapter 2 talks about it. Brethren, it's so important for us to trust that Jesus laid his life down for no other reason than he loved you with no expectation. Not to go back to that example, but you know what? I did not want my wife to have to live in that house with that stench. And I think it's been more than once that I went under there. And for those of you who've been under houses, you know it's no fun. And I'm claustrophobic. But I did that out of love. Jesus, much more so, experienced the full penalty of your sin, which is the lake of fire, on the cross during that three hours out of love. 
Take a look at another passage, if you would. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, a very powerful passage about the great love of God through his son Jesus. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, being made innocent by his grace, we would be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I don't know about you, brethren, but without the love of God, none of us would have any hope. I don't know about you, but, but I've had a lot of miserable things happen to me in this life, and most of them before I became a Christian because of my foolishness and selfishness. But coming out of that as I've grown, the blessings continue to grow because he continues to love. Let's close with this passage of Scripture. Ephesians 5. And this passage of scripture is, is not for um, physical husbands. The scripture is all about Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And here it is again. And gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself, literally, if you look at the scriptures, present to his father, the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. Now for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Why did Christ come? Because he loved and nourished and cherished his wife. That's the only reason. There's no greater motivator than love. There's no greater motivator in genuine love. What does Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 say? Let love be without hypocrisy. The word without hypocrisy literally, literally means to be genuine from the original source. You know how we're going to stay the course and make it to heaven? Faith, hope, and love. But the love has to be the love of Christ. It has to be his love. Because you'll stay the course, you'll continue to support each, we'll continue to support each other, and we'll go out and try to help other people become Christians. As I've shared with you before, I'll share with you again. People are scared right now. And people are going to become more fearful. I shared this with Bible class and I'll share it with you. Someone who I helped their family several years ago, I brought the word of God to them and they've come and assembled with us on occasion. 
when she had a friend who was struggling that lives here in Pleasant Hill, she said, you need, if you're looking for the Lord, you need to go to the church. Because not only will Bill talk to you about the truth, but those people will care for you. Those people will have a genuine concern for you. People are looking for a way out. The reason that Jesus came is because of a love for his Father, and it's a love for us. You know why we should go forth? It's because of the love of the Father and a love of Christ Jesus with no strings attached. I hope that in the last several years since I did the series on love, that four-year series, that you've not felt judged. And if you have felt judged, it wasn't that I was judging you. It was that I was trying to help you like a coach understand how to be the way God desires for you to be. Brethren, it's about love. So we're transitioning now from this series on we can trust Jesus absolutely to becoming trustworthy Christ ones so that we can be trusted. I pray that you'll come and listen. It's all now about our becoming trustworthy so that we can trust each other when the time comes. Jesus said, the love of many will grow cold when the time of Roman persecution crushed Jerusalem and the church. The love is what's going to keep us going. The love for him, the love for Christ, and the love for one another. There is no other place, there's no other people, there's no other hope but in the love of Christ. No strings attached. Let's pray. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, trust your Son, Jesus Christ, as we listen to his word. Help us to embrace it and to live it. If we'll embrace it and live it, we're going to end up growing so that we truly do love each other with the love of Christ. And that we will ourselves choose to love each other. Meaning that we're doing, we'll do nothing to hurt them, only that which will be pleasing to them. Help us to walk in the footsteps of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we would be trustworthy as well. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get all excited. What did Jesus Christ say to do? He said to go. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. King of Kings. Woohoo! All right. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.